Okay, now you got me. It's Frank's, Frank, just stand here. Frank, stand here. It's your presence that makes this work. Yeah. Yeah, instead of, get out of here, would you, Frank? You're hearing something different this morning. And I said, thank you, Lord. Would you turn to John chapter 10? Um, what an amazing coincidence, don't you think? So, uh, if you remember from last week, um, you would remember that the Pharisees were not particularly enamored with Jesus. And in fact, even before the event happened of the blind man being healed, he, uh, the Pharisees had, uh, had already uh, made it known among their community that if you followed Jesus, if you believed in Jesus, you were not welcome in the temple. And um, that may not seem like a big deal, uh, in um, in our nation, in our country, you just go to a different church. But there was only one in Jerusalem. Um, and it was not just where they gathered um, on the Sabbath morning. It was their life. It was where they gathered in the evenings. It was where all of their leadership and and their um, their guidance came from. It was a big deal to be left out of, of the... Uh, uh, out of the temple. But the other thing that you saw was that um, I, I think you saw a picture of the the true nature of the Pharisees. Uh, here's people that were put in charge of a congregation. And they didn't even know their own sheep who had been sitting at the gate of the temple for how many years? Begging for alms. And when he was healed... The conversation part of it was, is, is this really the same guy? Right? We've, we've only seen him for 40 years or however long he'd been sitting there. And every single day, how much less could we pay attention to the people than that? And uh, th- that was their, uh, th- their, that's how you see what type of a shepherd that they were. Um, they really downplayed uh, what Jesus had done in terms of, of that um, uh, miracle. And, and you could see how threatened it was to them because um, the, the, they, they not only said, you know, did this really happen? Is this really the same guy? I think you're faking it. But then they berated him for, for having been healed as if, first off, it was not his choice, right? But would you not? Take healing. If you're blind for okay, you know, you're a bad guy because you let somebody heal you. Um, they did that in a way of rejecting Jesus. <clears throat> it was interesting that as you went through chapter nine and, and just kind of recapping a little of what um, Wesley said, as you went through chapter nine, the sight of the blind man became clearer and clearer, and the sight of the Pharisees became darker. And darker. Um, When the when the blind man was healed and came before the Pharisees, they said, "You know, don't be giving God, don't be giving glory to Jesus. Give glory to God, because we know this man Jesus is a sinner." And and uh, it was interesting because the blind man's response was, "I don't know anything about that, but what I do know is he healed me." And then after they threw him out of the temple, Jesus went and found him 
and 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 cared for him because the point of Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And here was the example. Jesus did what he came to do in one sense in terms of got people's attention, demonstrated that he was God, and had an... an um, he, he he was building an antagonism between him and the Pharisees. You could see that. All of that had occurred. He did not have to go back and find this blind man. But when he did, the first thing the blind man did when Jesus told him who he was, he bowed down and he worshipped him. And that's what I think, as we get through this message today, that's what I want us to see. Is that based on what Jesus did and what he said, we need to worship him much more than we do. It's interesting, um, in in uh, the Message Bible, which I don't read all the time, but every once in a while I go to look at it because it was it's kind of funny. But if you, kind of fun, not funny. Um, in, in the Message Bible, it reads in John chapter 9. I'm going to ask you to turn to John 10 and just back up a couple verses. John 9, 39 through 10, 1. It, uh, it reads like this. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him, which I'm sure was just Jesus' intent. He meant for this to be heard. And they said, does that mean you call us blind? Jesus said, if you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you are accountable for every fault and failure. Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, he knows you know he's up to no good. He is a sheep rustler. So uh, as I was um, reading through this, I kept thinking there is at least three categories of people who are listening. And, and it, it, you can say, well, well, some of them are the non-believers, some of them are the believers. There's probably three of each in both camps, if you look at that. You can imagine the Pharisees that are here. And, and it, there's at least three sets of folks. There's a set of folks that just don't care. They don't care who Jesus is. They've got their deal. They're, they have a position in life. They've got a job to do. They feel like it's been what they were born or bred to do. And this is what what they should be doing. And Jesus is a nothing. It's a non-entity to them. They just don't care. Um Unfortunately, there's some Christians that probably feel the same way, and that's a sad part of it. But the second category of people, there are some folks that this just really irritates them. What Jesus has to say gets under their skin. And um, that, I think, are, are the folks who are answering, are you saying that we're blind too? And and it was it was... Would have been really easy for Jesus to say, yeah, sure, you betcha. But he didn't. He said, his response back was, 
because you say you can see, but you don't, you're not only blind, but you are guilty. And that is a place that you don't want to be in the sight of God. Amen? So, um, what, what, I, what I want to point out is what I want us to, to consider that throughout this, this uh, passage as we go through today, is that when you think about what Jesus has to say, that he's either insane, which is where we're going to go, which is where the Pharisees went, or he's God. And there's not an in-between. So keep in mind what he says, and we'll talk about that, and we'll work through that as we go through here. Especially, just jump to the end of where we're going to read, if you would. In John 10, starting with 19, it says, The Jews who heard these words were again divided. That was part of what happened earlier um, with, with the, uh, the Pharisees. Many of them said he's demon-possessed and raving mad, and why should we listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And I think here you have the third category of people, and that is the folks that aren't sure, but want to know. Right? So you got the people that don't care, you have the folks that get irate and get angry at what they're being challenged at, and you have the folks that, that they, they have a real desire to know the truth, even if the truth isn't what they thought it was before. So, it all comes down to, was Jesus deranged, or is he divine? Is he insane, or is he God? And um, those are exactly the words and the place where Jesus is taking them. Back up a couple more verses. In John ten seventeen, and look what he has to say there. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. This is not the first time he uses that term, and we're going to see that when we go backwards. This, this because I lay down my life, but here's the kicker, that I take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Anybody can say, I lay my life down, but only Jesus can say, I take it back again. You know, throughout history, there have been stories of people that have laid their life down for someone else. That, that folks who have, have sacrificed themselves for the sake of their children. That uh, people have taken their life, they've jumped off of a bridge. or jumped, you know, People can lay their life down for a variety of reasons. But nobody can pick it up again. Once you're dead, you can't be undead. Only Jesus had the authority and the power to do that. And because that had not been done before, this is either insanity or it's divinity. One of the two. Okay. So before we go back to John 10, 1, let's just open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just am thankful for your word. I thank you, Lord, that uh, the meat of your word is something for us to chew on, that it is a uh, just a fancy meal 
And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to um, both understand, but also, Lord, to glean and grow and be strengthened by your word and what it has to say this for us this morning. I just pray in your name. Amen. So John 10, um, 1 through 21, which is where we're going to go, is really um, uh, kind of a tale in four parts. Uh, the first part is um, almost a mini parable. The parables Jesus used very commonly in in Matthew and Mark and Luke, but not very commonly is a parable recorded in John. In fact, this may be the only one. And and he then uses that's one to six, seven through ten. He's going to further uh, define a piece of that. 11 through 18, he'll define some more, and then we'll get to the response of the Pharisees. We'll get to the end of that. So, um, this parable that he's talking about is really general. It's got uh, a sheepfold, sheep, uh, a shepherd, a gatekeeper, and a stranger. And you'll notice when we read this that Jesus does not identify himself as any part of that. But it's up to you, it's up to, and I'm sure the Pharisees could see that he was definitely speaking about himself. When we get to 7 to 10, he says, I am the door. And he impacts, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be the door? Um, And then um, in 11 through 18, he talks about, I am the good shepherd. And we'll talk a little bit more about that and what does that mean. Um, So let's start. Matthew, Matthew. John chapter 10, we'll just do 1 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Now remember, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Now there are other people that were there listening as well, including the healed blind man, but it's primarily he's focusing on speaking to the Pharisees. Um, if, if you take a look at the bridge between chapters 9 and 10, you won't find one because there isn't. This is one continuing event. So we need to keep in our minds that what just happened before he starts talking about him being the shepherd is he just said to the Pharisees, you're blind. And you're not only blind, you're guilty. And oftentimes we think about Jesus who came, and Jesus is the the good shepherd and he cares for the sheep, and we forget that Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And we forget that, that that Jesus came to upset an apple cart of Jewish religion. Actually, maybe he didn't come to upset. He came to set right (laughs) how 
he, God wanted his people to worship him, um, which was not the Jewish religion, right? Okay. It's really clear when you read through this that the Pharisees are the stranger that he's using in this passage, right? Those people that don't come in through the door, uh, but can't come in some form over the top. Um, it's, there's, there's also a, a kind of an interesting um, point between, he calls them, they, they're a thief and a robber. And, and those two words have similarities. We sometimes use them um, the same in our language, but in the ancient language, a, a thief was, is someone who comes in slyly and under the cover of darkness and you don't see him and, and steals from you without that. A robber was meant to denote somebody who comes in and takes it by violence. And uh, um, he, he uses both those terms applicable to uh, the Pharisees. But the legitimate shepherd comes in through the door or through the gate. And the gatekeeper gives him his blessing. When, when uh, the shepherd uh, comes in, he knows his sheep. He calls them by name. They recognize his voice. And that's in verses 2 through 4. Um, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Um, I am terrible with names. I am so bad with names that sometimes I can talk to you and three minutes later I, I'll, I've known you forever and I can't remember your name. It is, it, it's a, it's terrible. I, sometimes I'm so embarrassed I just don't remember people's names. That is not the case with our Lord. He knows your name. He calls you by name. He calls the sheep. It's it's uh, uh, amazing. There's uh, um, if you ever saw a real shepherd work with sheep, and um, they can be in the midst of a big sheep pen, which is typically a congregation of multiple shepherd sheep's sheep. That is one word that does not have a plural. Um, sheep. Um, so there, there could be hundred sheep in this pen, but when the shepherd comes in and he calls the name of his sheep, they instantly, the ones that belong to him, perk up. The rest ignore, but those perk up. And when he starts calling by name, they come. And it's really cool to see that happen. Um, he knows, he knows your name, um, which is kind of cool because you didn't get into heaven as part of a tour bus where kind of your bus drove through the gates and everybody on the bus got um, I had the opportunity years and years ago to to, to, uh, to travel to Rome and uh, we had a Sunday off so we did kind of a tour of ancient Rome and in this tour we stopped at the Vatican and uh, got a chance to walk through and and while we were looking around the outside, over on the other side of the great plaza, the Pope was holding a mass. And um, sometime in that process, we all got back on the on the bus, and the, the the tour guide was just beaming, and he said, "You guys should all be so happy." And everybody looks around, says, "Why?" He says, "You have all now been blessed by the Pope." 
and 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 we kind of looked at each other, you know, and, and and thought to ourselves, well, did did we catch the blessing in the wind? Did it kind of blow our way? Because we weren't in the service, and he certainly didn't know who we were. But that is not salvation. You did not get salvation that way. Jesus knows you individually. And the other part about that is not only does he know your name, he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows the good and he knows the not so good. He knows the not so good better than you do yourself. And how many times do you look in the mirror and the thoughts that run through your mind about yourself are just stinking thinking? You know what I'm saying? God knows all that and he still loves you. He knows all that and he still called you. He knows all that and he wants a relationship with you. And he doesn't want a relationship with you because of what you are supposed to be. He wants a relationship with you because of who you are. Nobody is who they're supposed to be. Nobody is as good as they're supposed to be good. But God wants a relationship with you because of you, not because of who you're supposed to be. I can't witness because I didn't memorize those verses yet. Hmm. I, 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 I didn't have all the right proper thoughts this week, so I can't be used by God. I can't put my... That's not the case. That's not the case. God, this old saying, God does perfect things with imperfect people. And, and I'm the most imperfect. You are all imperfect people. God does perfect things. I could stop right there. There are two important things that I want to point out in, in, um, this, this past back again. It's so cool. You know, the Father <laughs> commanded Jesus to come, to lay down his life for the sheep, and gave him the authority to take his life back again. And he did that for you. I uh, I took chemistry in high school for one reason. The reason was Mr. Pounder was a chemistry teacher. He's a funny guy. He's an older guy, kind of strange guy. But I took chemistry from Mr. Pounder. And you know why I took chemistry from Mr. Pounder? Because his son was one of my best friends. And it was easy. Mr. Pounder took us to base, baseball games, to basketball games. He had an old Packard. By the time we were like in eighth grade, there would be four guys in the back of this old car. He'd take us to basketball games and all this. You know, I knew him ahead of time. And I didn't really get chemistry. Uh, it's a lot of memorization. And as I said, with na- what's your name? You get my point of why I struggle with chemistry. But but in chemistry, there's this kind of cool test that uses litmus paper. Anybody know what litmus paper is? What does litmus paper do? pH. It tells acidity, right? 
or or alkaline. Yeah, right. Right. So you take this piece of litmus paper and you put it into a substance and you can tell right away whether it has a pH change, right? Instant knowledge. I, I nailed the litmus paper test right? because it's on or off. I, I get that piece of it. Take this litmus, piece of litmus paper as your life and every time you do something wrong, there's a little drop of substance on that paper. And what happens to the paper when it... it Jesus Christ died for you. You are saved. If you've asked Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your litmus paper is never dirty in the eyes of God. You ever think of that? It's never. It's always bright white. It's always as if not used. That's a cool image. That's what Jesus did. And again, the Pharisees didn't get it. If you look at verse 19, it says, There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, He has a demon. He's insane. Why should we listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who's (coughs) oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Do you remember back in chapter 9, there was this commentary about, you know what, we've never seen a demon heal. We've never seen a demon change, change something bad to something good. That doesn't happen. As you look through this whole passage, there are two things that prove that Jesus... Um, was not crazy or demon-possessed. The first part was his actions. Right? His actions in healing the blind man, his actions in the response to the Pharisees, his actions in seeking out the blind man in a relationship mode when he didn't have to. He just And he didn't do it publicly, he just went to him because he was concerned about him. Right? But also his words, Jesus' words, um, as he, uh, demonstrate that um, he, he was not crazy. He's consistent with what he said. Um, even when he recorded in the Gospels, he said, Lord, show me the... Or, Why can you believe what Jesus said and the the stories of what he did? Why can you get a comfort level about going in and out with the shepherd? It comes back to verse 17. Because he laid down his life for you. And then he took it up again. The abundant life, as we talked about, is not what we get, what we can gain. 
abundance of life is rather in our worship of Jesus. In living our life for him and letting him lead us to protection and to pasture. Life and abundant life. When he says, I'm the door, I'm the shepherd, I have the authority to take my life up again. That, that was strange words for people that didn't really want to understand. But it was pure words to the folks in that gathering that did, that wanted to know. And I think that the, the part that Jesus is trying to say is that it's not how much you know, but it's who you know. In the society of Jerusalem at the time, there was no one more learned than the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of the temple. They were the most educated people in their society. They, more, they certainly know, knew more about theology than the man who was born blind. But they didn't know the true shepherd. And he did. He knew him, He knew Jesus as his shepherd. Later in John 17.3, which our Sunday school verses also say, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what did you get out of John chapter 10? We know him as our Savior. Does knowing more about the shepherd, the door, the gate, the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for you, does that lead you to worship him more? Or to yawn? How are you taking it? Where's your spiritual attention and desires? Are you chasing the American dream and all that entails in that? Is that your goal, your ideal of abundant life? Are you desiring life abundantly through a closer relationship with the Lord? I think the question that that I want to put before us as we think and we look at this is, are we as Christians, are we willing to be obedient Jesus is asking us to get closer to Him, to live abundantly in Him. Are we obedient? Are we just kind of happy to live the life we have? If Jesus is not insane, then He is God. He doesn't give you an option in in what He's saying. There's not a, a door number three. This is... It's, it's A or B, right? He's either... And if he's God, are you worshiping him the way that you know he wants to be worshipped? And I think that's our challenge for to go away with here. Is the application point is worshiping God is more than what we're doing. What does that mean to you? It's more than just coming on Sunday. What is really worshiping? What is really having life abundantly in Jesus mean to you? And we need to learn to find that out. Amen?
Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you uh, open the the um, the eyes of of uh, our heart to see you as the we know you as the door to eternal life. Lord, we we are learning of you as the good shepherd, how you lead us in and out and find pasture. We want to know that abundant life in you that uh, that your joy leads us to. And Lord, we want to be obedient to follow what you say and to be used by you in a way that you uh, that you you would choose. We thank you for it in your name. Amen. From the wolves and the false teachers. From those who um, came to kill and destroy. You'll be safe from every enemy that would destroy you. Doesn't always mean physical. Because there are many people who stood for God. And and had to uh, endure physical pain, torture, even, even death. It doesn't mean that. But it certainly means spiritual. You're safe from any spiritual destruction. Enter, enter by me and you will be forever safe. You will be saved. But none of us want to be only safe. We all want more than that. If you think about the sheep and the safety of a sheep pen... That's a place where they are safe from wolves. They're safe from uh, bad shepherds. They're safe. But sustenance and water are not in the sheep pen. Those are places you have to go out of the pen with the shepherd and he leads them to green pastures and besides still waters. It's part of the going in and out. We don't only want safety. We want life. And we want that life more abundantly um, so Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. Yes, and more, so much more. And he will go in and out with pasture. The, the shepherd pre- rep- represents here both safety and protection, as well as the, the abundance of life. Now, we've seen in our society two ways to live your life, at least two ways in the Christian society in America you can live your life. One is to think about the abundance of life, and you can see it in so many different television ministers, that that the abundance of life is the American dream. Right? You'll get everything that you want, and that's that's God's abundance for you. And that is not what God is saying here. There's a difference between abundance in life and life abundantly. Right? Throughout Scripture, God talks about His joy. He talks about His uh, presence and, and what that brings and how that makes our heart feel. Following the... Um, that, that that goal of of gaining abundant, abundance meaning material things, um, it's it's really in our society we've had so many examples of people that that go for it all and get it all and then self destruct. And uh, there's a great story I think that demonstrates that um, Eskimos hunt for wolves 
in an interesting way. Has anybody heard this story? They take a knife and they dip it in seal fat and they bury it in the ground with only the blade up. And the wolf comes because he loves seal fat and he licks the knife. And he keeps licking the knife until he cuts his tongue. And then because the wolf loves blood, he keeps licking. And pretty soon the wolf is dead. I never saw a better picture of addiction than that. I, and, 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 and let's not necessarily talk about substance. I'm talking about sin in our lives. Those things that, that we just don't want to let go of, that we think are so good for us, and you get it, and you get all you want, and then you get to the end of it, and you look back, and you go like, man, I'm dying here. This is not the joy. This is not the life. This is not. That, that picture of, <laughs> of hunting wolves would just, just so... Um, Applicable to me, I thought. I, man, that was uh, the difference between really living and thinking that you were getting what you wanted. Only Jesus can satisfy our soul. Only Jesus provides life abundantly that begins now and continues through eternity. We have no idea what heaven's like. Little pictures, I think, Scripture gives us, there are certainly people that will tell you what heaven looks like. And, you know, all these books about, I was in heaven and now I'm back. And here's what you need to know about it. Um, the joke about the guy who gets to heaven with his bag of gold and thinks he's got it made. And they open it up and an angel takes out a piece of gold and says, oh, look, pavement. I don't think we get it. We don't get what heaven is like. I, and, I, and I'm going to throw that out. I don't. It, it doesn't talk about having abundant life only in heaven. It talks about it here. And, and I have to admit, I don't get that. That when I look in, I, at my life at, at that, and I start thinking about what is, uh, what is abundant life, I struggle with this. What is the joy of the Lord? mean in my life I I don't feel that I don't feel that very often and, and I'm this this is a, not an easy uh, passage to go through from that perspective because I look at it and I'm going like man you're falling you're falling short here I don't have any doubt about my salvation I don't have any doubt about being a sheep of the pasture but I don't feel like I'm living an abundant life. And shouldn't I be? And when I look in the mirror, it's really troubling. So I'm ask you, are you living in an abundant life? If not, shouldn't you be? What does that mean? I think we've got some learning. And I think we've got some growing to do. I know I do. So I found this short prayer. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and, and, and pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for being a door for us. We believe you're the only door to eternal life, the only door to soul-satisfying pastures, the only door to God, and we enter. Lead us in green pastures that satisfy our souls and fill our lives with the peace and joy that comes from being filled with God. Thank you.
Amen. That's not the end of the passage. We just talked about what is it being the door like. Let's talk a little bit about what is it being the shepherd mean. Being the door is the is the why, and being the shepherd is the how. How Jesus, how are you gathering a flock of sinful sheep who have eternal, abundant life? How are you a shepherd? What does that mean to us? Let's take a look at verse eleven. I am the good shepherd. He didn't say that in 1 through 6, but he's really clear here now. Pharisees, you can't miss this. Church, you can't miss this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me. Now he, I, he's confusing the Pharisees like crazy right here. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. The short answer to what it means to be a shepherd and what it means to be gathering a flock is this. Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. It's that, it's that simple. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is bound to the sheep. Do you think about that? Just like he's bound to the Father, he's the intermediary for us, between us and God. He's as bound to us as he is. He knows his sheep. It's it's interesting that, that not one will be lost. He says in another place. But you know what? God knows this. Jesus knows, and certainly we know, us smart people. That if the shepherd dies, the sheep are not protected. Being foolish sheep, if a shepherd dies, sheep flee. They just spread. There's stories of shepherds watching just in terror as one sheep walks off of a cliff and hundreds follow. They don't have the sense not to do that. They just, they, sheep need a shepherd. And that's why in verse 18, Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down on my own accord, but I have the authority to take it up again. That is maybe the coolest part of Scripture ever. If you think about it, 
folks, I am just like you. I'm a man. I walk. I eat. I need sleep. I need. But you know what? I am not like you at all. I'm God. That's part of Jesus coming out. I have the authority to take my.